Welcome to episode 96 of the Women of the Military podcast. My guest this week is Ashley McGee. She graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy in 2013 and is currently an active duty Navy officer with nearly seven years of commissioned service. She was a surface warfare officer for four years, which included two deployments. Next, she laterally transferred to engineering duty officer. Currently, she is serving as a project officer for combat system ship testing. She is also building a health coaching business and just launched her new podcast, the Healthy Women Warrior Podcast. She plans on transitioning out of the military to follow her passion full-time. She serves military women, both active duty members and veterans, to help them improve their health so they can control more in their life. It's another great episode, so let's get started. You're listening to the Women of the Military podcast, where we share the stories of female service members and how the military touched their lives. I'm Amanda Huffman. I'm an Air Force veteran, author of Women of the Military, and a collaborative author of Brave Women, Strong Faith. I am also a military spouse and mom. I created Women of the Military podcast as a place to share stories of military women past and present with the goal of finding the heart of the story while uncovering the triumphs and challenges women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Welcome to the show, Ashley. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Let's start with why did you decide to join the military? So kind of a funny story. When I was little, I swore I'd never go into the military. (laughs) But that was mostly because my stepdad had some Marine Corps friends. And so anytime I complained, he'd be like, pain is weakness, leaving the body. And that's not really what you want to hear when you're like 10. But I um, I'm actually third generation Naval Academy. So my grandfather and my uncle both went. And um, when I got to high school, my grandfather really wanted a grandkid to go to the academy. And honestly, just one day I started to actually listen to what he had to say about it. And I was really attracted to the the camaraderie and, and being a part of something bigger than myself. So that's why I ended up pursuing the academy and eventually attending. So when did you start looking into the academy? Was it like your freshman year or your sophomore year or even later? My freshman year. So pretty much my entire high school career was solely focused on getting into the Naval Academy. Which is kind of important because like there's so many requirements and things to plan for. It's good that you knew from that early on that that's what your goal was so that you could make choices that align better so you could get into the academy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it definitely, I mean, it helps also make my high school experience really well-rounded because I wasn't just doing sports. I was volunteering a lot, part of like student body and stuff like that. And well, (laughs) on one side, it was, you know, to get into the academy, it ended up having an added benefit of, you know, making me a better person. (laughs) Right. That makes sense. So what was the application process like? When did you start putting your packet together to attend the Naval Academy? 
So I was very overzealous. <laughs> so I, the Academy has a program called Summer Seminar that you can attend the summer after your junior year. So before you start your senior year. And so I was accepted into that program. It's like a week long and it's just to give you a taste of the Academy. And I actually completed my application by the time I left for Summer Seminar. So I only had my specific Naval Academy application done by that time. Now I didn't have the congressional nomination or anything like that yet, but I had the actual Naval Academy application done by the end of my junior year, which was way ahead of the curve. For context, the Academy's first admissions board meets Labor Day weekend in September. I was really early with that and I ended up actually getting, it's called a a letter of assurance, which is essentially like I am accepted contingent on getting the congressional nomination. And I had that July before I started my senior year of high school, which I found out later that's because my blue and gold officer called the academy and told them to let me in and tell me. Oh, so you found out early? I did. I So I went into my senior year of high school already knowing that I was accepted into the academy. Oh, wow. Did that like take away pressure or did it add pressure or was it just like a relief? Oh, it was a total relief because I felt like I could, you know, really just focus on being present and enjoying my senior year. Like when my classmates were, uh, you know, killing themselves over like retaking SATs and stuff like that. Like I was just doing school. (laughs) That makes sense. So let's talk about what it was like to go to the Naval Academy. It starts with essentially like a boot camp. Is that Right. I don't I don't actually know for sure. Yeah. So it starts with plebe summer is what it's called. And it is it's like a mini boot camp, the Academy's version of boot camp. So I reported July 4 or July 1st, 2009. And plebe summer is about two months long. And it's it's an introduction to everything from, you know, military PT to military bearing. You know, your your eyes are always in the boat. It's sir and ma'am sandwiches. And it's interesting. It, you know, it's that that process of just turning you into a little like military midshipman that it, it felt really like brutal at the time. But now in hindsight, I'm like, ah, was it that bad? <laughs> I mean, it probably it probably was really tough. I think sometimes you remember stuff not as bad as it was, but I'm sure it was tough to go through. Yeah. And it's I think, too, I so it's run by like midshipmen going into their senior year. So I was a detailer on the back end of my academy career too. So I I did experience it from the other side, which was also really exhausting. Yeah, that's true. So you got both experiences as like the plebe going through it and then as the like the organizers and the the trainees. That's kind of interesting that you got to do both sides. Yeah, so I I was actually worried about being able to do please summer as a detailer because I was never really a PT stud at the academy. I I struggled a lot with like the PRT uh, because I am a swimmer, not a runner. And so I, I was just like worried about like showing up and my senior enlisted leader in my company was like, well, can you pass the PRT? And I was like, well, yeah. And he goes, well, then, you know, you should do plebe summer. Like it's about more than just physical fitness. Like they need your leadership and like you have a lot to offer. And that was, it was a really big like confidence boost for me. And just, I think it was the first time that, you know, military leader had like sat me down and been like, there, there's more to this than just like 
being the best at push-ups because I feel like sometimes that's how it feels at the academy. So that was a, a great lesson. And so I ended up being a platoon commander for um, Plebe Summer, and, which was crazy because it also made me in charge of like drill. So suddenly I was like reading the drill manual so I could teach plebes how to march, <laughs> which felt completely absurd at the time and still kind of does in hindsight. Yeah, I think that's really good advice because sometimes you think, like you said, you were, you were able to pass it, but you weren't like a superstar is what you're trying to say. Like you didn't max it. The leadership and the other parts are so important. It's good that you got that advice and that direction. Definitely. How do you get to pick your jobs when you're at the Naval Academy? Like as far as commissioning into the fleet? Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of a multi-part process. So first of all, you're getting fleet experience all through your time at the Academy. So every summer, it's not like you get the entire summer off. There's actually, it's split into three main blocks, which is, it's really three months, right? So it's June, July, and August. And you get a block of leave. And then there's two blocks of training. One is like small unit leadership training. The other is fleet experience training. So during those fleet experience blocks, you, you know, you get to see what it's like to be on a surface ship. Some people do like aviation cruises. So they get to follow around pilots. Some people do like Marine Corps stuff because they like rolling around the dirt. I don't know. I don't know what Marines do. I'm I'm being facetious, obviously. But um, so so that's like the first part is really the fleet exposure because ideally you want to pick a career path that you're actually going to like, and then also like. For example, if you wanted to go like in the Marines, you had to have done their like leatherneck training, which so you there were some things that you had to do in order to pick certain service selections. So then like when it comes time to select your service, it's literally like you go into this online module and just like rank your choices. And then I actually, I selected um, an option. So I was surface warfare with an engineering duty option. So I also had to go through an interview process to be chosen for the option because out of my class, out of like however many people went surface warfare, there were only... 14 of us that had the option and then beyond that if you like if you end up going surface warfare then there's like a whole ship selection process and that's when you start like picking your orders so that's kind of the general overview yeah it's a lot more complicated than i thought you were gonna say (laughs) (laughs) it's so crazy that how much it's tied to like the summer stuff and then not only do you pick your career then you pick the option and then the ship and so it's not they just were like you're gonna be a civil engineer and i was like okay and then they (laughs) said you're going to the space and that was pretty much it for doing the job and it was it wasn't very complicated that's interesting so when you got to commission into the navy and leave the naval academy behind what was that transition like to go from being in the academy to being on active duty it was it was interesting. I So first, I was actually, I, I commissioned in 2013, which if you remember is right when sequestration happened. <laughs> so, and my first ship was out of Hawaii. So I had to spend like three months in San Diego in schools before I could go to Hawaii. And like literally up until like the week before I left, we didn't know if we were going to be able to get flights because of sequestration. So that was, there's a lot of like uncertainty. And even though, you know, the military was still working and being paid, the civilian you know, support staff was not. So I went from my like 
Naval Academy, but it's just very minimal pay to commissioned, but like my BAH never updated for Hawaii. So I'm a brand new ensign and I had to take out a loan to pay my rent because Hawaii is insanely expensive. So that was a really interesting start, but I got to the ship and I was, I was like this bright eyed and bushy tailed ensign that like, you know, was so excited to be in the fleet and like ready to serve 20 years. And I'm sure all the the jaded sailors were like, who is this chick? (laughs) But that's, that's how I started out. I was, I was really hungry, really excited and just like super motivated. That's crazy that you couldn't get your BH indicator changed. I think there's a lot of like moving pieces behind when the government shuts down and like different parts keep going, but then like other parts stop and how that can have a ripple effect. So many different moving pieces. So that's crazy. Yeah, it seems like I always tend to move right around like the fiscal year ending or the calendar year ending. So I think I think I've only had one move where my BAH wasn't messed up. <laughs> that's crazy. So you went to your first ship, you finally got you got to go to training because it all worked out, but there was a lot of uncertainty. And so what was like the first few years of being in the military like when you were on your ship? Did you guys go out and deploy or were you on home station the whole time or what were you guys doing? Yeah, so I I checked on board my first ship the week we went into a, a six-month yard period. So on that ship, I actually experienced the full ship life cycle. So six months in the yard and then all of the inspections. I was an engineering division officer, so I worked all the time. There was legit a month where I did not see the sun. I was rolling into work at like 5 a.m. and leaving well after like eight, nine o'clock at night. And that was brutal. <laughs> it was it was really, really hard. And I, um, I really started to get worn down. And then that rolled into an eight and a half month deployment to the Arabian Gulf. So, and at that time, so about... <sighs> Six months before deployment, I started actually struggling with depression and that lasted into probably about halfway through my deployment. So that was really, really difficult. And then I, as soon as we got back from deployment, I transferred to a staff job and met them on deployment about four months later. So in a year and a half period, I was gone 11 months total. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. That's so much time away. And when you were talking about depression and you said you so you were able to break free or how did you get out of depression while you were deployed? Did you was there like a doctor that got you meds or did you find a like coping strategy or how did that work? Yeah, um, I actually got to the point where I asked for help from um, our our corpsman on board, our doc, who was a chief. And his response was, I don't know how to help you because I feel the same way. So that, yeah, (laughs) that was the first time military medical failed me. So I, I mentioned earlier that I was not really like a PT stud at the academy and going, dealing with this, this first tour, I was really struggling with my health. I was overweight, I had high cholesterol, and then attack on the depression. And I was like, I have to change something. So I started focusing on my health as the only thing I could control. And that became my main coping strategy. So I started working out regularly, limiting like fried foods, because that's really the only thing that you can control on the ship is like, well, I know I can 
you know, choose the not fried option at lunch today. And that's pretty much all I have. So like that was a huge part of it was getting healthy. But then after that, I'm actually I'm I'm extremely goal oriented. And your first tour on a ship, you're really like your job really is to get qualified. You earn your surface warfare pin. And our commanding officer was frankly awful. And he kept making these like arbitrary requirements for us before we could board. And to the point where like we were we were all like up against the wire to like qualify in time and by no fault of our own. We were asking for boards. We were asked like and just getting pushed off. So that created a lot of stress and anxiety that I think compounded with the depression. And once I finally was able to earn my pin, it was like a huge weight was lifted. It was like the the rain cloud that had been following me around finally just like blew away. And I felt like I could actually like function and see again as as like my normal self. Yeah, I've heard people talk about depression like as like a rain cloud and then something happens and it like goes away or being in a dark room and then all of a sudden it's like you're in a bright room and you can see again. And so, yeah, yeah, that I think the leadership on a ship or on a deployment, I had a really bad commander. So I understand what it's like to not have a good leader and how much extra stress and tension that causes. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, it was it was definitely that it was a pretty like brutal start to my military career because I went from that really happy ensign that was excited to like be in the military for 20 years to like someone that was very cynical and like get me out now. <laughs> right. Like how much more time do I have? Can I just get <laughs> out now? Exactly. Which is really sad that I mean that's like the power of like a good or a bad leader. They can really they can really change everything about your feelings towards the military and your experience. Definitely. So then you went to the staff job and then you deployed again. Was that a better environment than the oh, yeah. one you had been on? <laughs> um, for so many reasons. I had a great Commodore. He actually recently retired from the Navy, but I mean, I would follow that man anywhere. He was Awesome. So that that was great. And then the you know the contrast in being an engineering officer on a destroyer versus being embark staff on a carrier was night and day. Like literally, I just had to do my job and stand watch. I didn't. I wasn't in charge of people. I wasn't in charge of equipment. I didn't have to do any of like the damage control drills. And it was it was great. I actually ended up. I certified to teach turbo kick before my second deployment and was able to teach workout classes twice a week in the uh, hangar bay. So that was like a really great outlet and brought me a ton of joy on this, you know, second deployment. That's really cool. That's really exciting. It gave you like something that was fulfilling and that you loved doing and you could do it and help other people. So that's really cool. So after that, not very long, a year and a half you had been in, or during that time you were gone, 11 months, what, when you got home from that second deployment, where did you go and what happened after that? So I was still with the staff for 
about another, just over another year after I, I got home from that deployment. I was mostly shore-based, like worked out of a cubicle. I was the schedules officer. So I basically helped our nine ships in the Desron, the, the destroyer squadron, maintain their schedules and do kind of that sort of thing. And then I also help plan an international exercise with uh, the Canadians. So I did like short underways for like that exercise. But other than that, I was pretty much shore-based, which was really nice. Yeah, it would give you some stability after mm -hmm. being caught for so long. So, yes. and then after that year, did you PCS or did you, or did you just move to another unit and stay where you were? Yep. So I, um, I PCS'd to Monterey, California and uh, started grad school. So I got my master's in electrical engineering. I actually just finished in December of 2019. So did you go to the Language Institute or is there somewhere different in Monterey? So yeah, so there's, there's two schools there. You have uh, DLI, the Language Institute, and then you have the Naval Postgraduate School. So I was actually at the Naval okay. Postgraduate School. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Was it really a tough program? My husband went to AFIT and to, he also got his master's in electrical engineering and it was it was pretty intense. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely tough. I thankfully found one of the smartest dudes I've ever met. He was a Marine. He's actually teaching at the Naval Academy now, but he he was in my kind of like cohort. We had all of our classes together. So I found him, I latched onto him. And because I believe one of the secrets to success in school is just like find the person that's smarter than you and study with them always. <laughs> so once I found him, that made my life a lot more manageable. But it was interesting because on top of this, when I was in grad school, my husband proposed and then we got married eight months later. <laughs> um, so I was also planning a wedding and we were geobatch. So while I was in Monterey, California, he was in San Diego. So every other weekend, I was either flying down to San Diego or he was flying up to Monterey to visit. So it was a lot of like logistics and moving parts on top of doing the whole like grad school thing. Yeah, that is a lot. So yeah, so he proposed and you got married and then you were going to grad school and you were separated. So how long had you been dating your now husband when he proposed? Had had you guys been together? For, I'm guessing you didn't start dating one in Monterey and one in San Diego. <laughs> no, we were um, we met when we were both stationed in Norfolk. So um, and that's where I was on the staff job. So we were dating for about a year, just over a year when he proposed. And and so like that's why we ended up like in different locations, because, you know, we weren't, you know, as far as the military was concerned, we weren't even engaged when we moved. Right. And they don't and I don't think they care if you're engaged either. You have to no, keep married. Really. <laughs> they like so, barely care, care if you're married, let's be honest. <laughs> that is true. That's the truth. They don't care. You have to care a lot mm -hmm. more than they do. Mm -hmm. So you so you graduated and are you are you in San Diego now with him? Or did no. you move again? <laughs> so about a month before I graduated, he deployed to Qatar. So he's in the Middle East right now doing, a, he's on an Air Force base, which has been an interesting experience for him. <laughs> Turns out the Navy and the Air Force does things a little bit differently. Go figure. And he won't be back until um, 
he's gone. He's gonna be gone for like eight, nine months. So he'll be back end of August 2020. Um, and then I have PCS to uh, Port Wainimi, California. So when he gets back, he'll have a job here. We his deployment is essentially our our deal we cut with the detailer so we could get co location. Yeah, see, that's how it works. You have to yep. cut deals to get stationed together. Yep. Yeah. So you guys will eventually be together after his eventually. deployment. We're, we're going to hit our second wedding anniversary by the time we live together for the first time. <laughs> that sounds like military mill to mill for sure. Yep. <laughs> so what has it been like to be married to someone, not be able to live together, and like all the like moving pieces in the behind the scenes to get stationed together? Do you guys think you're going to be able to both do 20 years or have you not really thought that far in advance? So, well, it's been interesting. Um, for one, I still don't have his stuff. It's been in storage in San Diego. It's actually supposed to get delivered next week. I'm thrilled. So, you know, there's always like that kind of stuff and the stress of getting orders and things like that. But I looked out, I, I married an old guy, which I affectionately call him. He's, um, he outranks me. It's great. And he's at like 17 years. So he's going to retire after this next tour. And I'm planning on just getting out we're we're gonna become civilians together <laughs> oh okay so that's kind of cool that you you are able to get your master's and you're doing your last you're doing your tour and then he's gonna retire and yeah that's really cool because military mill to mill life is like so complicated which you already only being married over a year almost two years I've already seen how challenging it is. And then, I mean, I got out when my son was born because I was like, I can do this when it's just me and my husband. But when I add kids, it's like, it's too complicated. It adds a whole nother level of stress that I, I didn't want to deal with anymore. Yeah. And we're, I mean, we're going to start trying actually for kids probably next year. So that's definitely something that I think about a lot too. So... I'll ask this and you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but what is making you decide that you want to get out of the military and you don't want to stay in longer? Yeah, for me, it's it's a fulfillment piece. So through kind of that health journey I mentioned, I've actually started health coaching for women in the military. And I have found so much joy, so much fulfillment out of that. And like doing my military day job, it, it just it pales in comparison to how much I enjoy coaching and helping other people in that way. And for me, you know, I like I think there's always that fear of like leaving the military community. And so, you know, I, I've made my niche in a way where I'm I'm still very I'm going to be very involved with the military community. I really want to help change how we view health, especially when medical doesn't necessarily have our backs sometimes. So like looking at preventative health and and care. So we as a fighting force and as women especially are stronger mentally and physically. So I honestly can't wait to get out of the military because I want to do that full time. Yeah, that's so cool that I feel like you're one step ahead of like where I was when I got out because I... I was a civil engineer and I didn't really want to be a civil engineer and I just knew that. So like <laughs> there were a lot of other factors in like why I left, but I didn't know what I wanted to do next. And it's so cool that you've already started your business and that it brings you such f fulfillment and that you're going to get to transition out and then do that full time. So that's really cool. 
takes a lot of the stress away of transitioning too, right? And with my husband being a pilot, like he wants to get out and fly commercial. Like that's he just wants to fly, which I'm I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure people will one day fly again. <laughs> it's a little uncertain right now. But you know, so like that I'm actually really excited to also like have this kind of like co-parenting situation, you know, because when he's not flying, he'll be home and I'll be working from home. And I just think that's going to be a really cool way to, to raise a family too. Yeah. And at the time of the recording, we're in the COVID crisis. So I hopefully in October when this actually goes live, the world will look a lot happier than it currently does because right yeah. now it's like <laughs> everything's falling apart. Let's talk about what you have going I, we were talking a little bit before, and I know that you have some coaching programs that you're just starting and that will continue to adapt and change. But can you give people a little bit overview of like what you're doing for your business and if people are interested in learning more besides that, I'll have the links in the show notes, but you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, I am currently launching my 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 flagship program. So this will be this will still be happening at the time of you know this this goes live. But it's it's an eight week program designed to help military women lose weight and you know just really improve health overall. I know so many of us struggle with the PRT, struggle with weigh-ins, and I constantly see you know, posts of people like, you know, taking laxatives before the weigh-ins and things like that. And I'm really, I really want to try to break that cycle with women in the military. So it's an eight-week program. It's designed for our busy, crazy lives. So, you know, it's not super time intensive. It's something that you can do even if you're deployed, which I think is really cool. So that's kind of my, like, like I said, my, my flagship offer. I also have a Healthy Women Warriors Facebook group. So you have to be either active duty or veteran woman. And um, I go in there every day and post different like health tips. We have discussions about like ways to improve our health and coping in, you know, whatever current time you're in or how to balance it with work. So it's a really great community. And that's something that I really have enjoyed building up as well and, and serving in there. And then other than that, like I'm pretty active on Instagram. So I'm at Ash McGee Coach, A-S-H-M-A-G-E-E-C-O-C-H. Um, and yeah, that's that's a little bit about about what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And when we were talking about it earlier, you mentioned that like the workouts are only like 10 to 15 minutes and it's not like yes. a drastic dieting change. It's like little changes that add up to like big impact when you do them over time. And I... I thought it was really fascinating. So I'm excited to see where it goes with the launch. And I'm excited for what you're doing because it sounds like it's a really cool resource that's actually really needed, especially in the military community. So that's great. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. It's that's the thing is I think there's so much misconception. And, and the biggest thing is people say they don't have enough time, you know, don't have enough time to work out, don't have enough time to be healthy. So I actually have a personal trainer and a registered dietitian on my team. And so I have customized meal plans that again are meant to be made for busy people and the micro workout plan, which everything is 10 to 15 minutes. And the only equipment max you would ever need are like dumbbells, but pretty much everything is body weight. So you can, you know, do it wherever. Again, just to make it as simple as pop possible and as attainable as possible, because you don't have to spend hours in the gym to see change. It's, it's tiny changes done consistently over time will get you big results. Yeah, that's awesome. 
I have one last question, but I wanted to make sure I didn't miss anything from your time in the military or at Naval Academy that you wanted to talk about. No, I mean, I think we we really covered it. You know, something I do want to mention is just it's really cool. The percentage of women at the academy continues to increase, you know, and for, for me, I'm I'm a woman. I'm a woman in STEM and also like military. And I think it's really cool to see that representation increasing. And I, you know, I hope that like young women are, are starting to see themselves more in in that field and in those those leadership roles because I think it's super important. It is really important. And that ties in really closely to my last question is what advice would you give to young ladies who are listening who are looking to join the military? Yeah. So my what I wish I could have told myself at the very beginning that I've learned now is you have to learn to be your own self-advocate. There's going to be so many times in your military career or your life where you think you ha- you just you have to do something because someone else is demanding it from you. But the thing is, you have to take care of yourself in order to be the best at your job, be the best version of yourself, you know, the, ba- the best, you know, sibling, spouse, child, whatever, mother. And so know that going into a career in the military. I think I'm so grateful for my time in the military, even though it's it's been hard. It's it's shaped me into who I am and really aligned me with my my purpose and my vision. So I think military service is so, so beneficial and there's so many wonderful things about it, but you have to remember to take care of yourself. That's great advice. And it's so important that we take care of us ourselves and that we do what's right for us. And I love that you're taking your time in the military and you're building a business based on, I love how you're like giving back directly to women who are in the military because I mean, that's kind of what I do and <laughs> it gets me really excited. So I see like where your passion's coming from and it, I really I just think it's cool that you're like already on that path and you still have a few more years before you're officially doing it full time. So it's really exciting to see what you're doing. And I really hope that people listening will reach out to you if they are interested. And everything is in the show notes. She mentioned her Instagram and Facebook, and I'll have all that in the show notes so that people can find it easily. And thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. This week's episode of Women of the Military Podcast. Do you love all things Women of the Military Podcast? Become a subscriber so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a review. It really helps people find the podcast and helps the podcast to grow. Are you still listening? You could be a part of the mission of telling the stories of military women by joining me on Patreon at patreon.com slash women of the military or you can order my book Women of the Military on Amazon. Every dollar helps to continue continue the work I am doing. Are you a business owner? Do you want to get your product or service in front of the Women of the Military podcast audience? Get in touch with the Women of the Military podcast team to learn more. All the links on how you can support Women of the Military podcast are located in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and for your support.